Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Thank you so much, Dennis, for the opportunity to speak with you and to speak with your global audience. So the Center for Urban and, and Racial Equity, we were founded to transform institutions and organizations and to promote equitable policies and practices, particularly within urban, within urban settings. The piece around transforming organizations and, and institutions is really critical for us as we're working in partnership and collaboration with organizations and government agencies to really build more equitable and inclusive organizations, institutions, and ultimately communities. And what we hope, you know, it then extends to countries, right? And nations that are more equitable and just. And so we started working primarily with health and housing organizations within large cities where we have, we're based in the, in the U.S., in, in Washington, D.C., where here in the U.S., Black and brown populations are largely reside in urban areas. And we were looking at trends over the past 20 plus years where we're seeing increasing inequality. It's been, and it really is beyond the U.S., right? Globally, we understand growing inequities within cities that wealth inequality, income inequality, and certainly racial um, inequality, all of these inequities and injustices intersect. And so we thought it important to be able to build the capacity of organizations, of institutions, of government agencies to be able to be more responsive, more collaborative with the communities that they are charged to serve. And so a lot of that work <laughs> that we do, just to, to maybe get a bit more specific, is that we provide training. You know, what is racial equity? How do you undo institutional and structural racism? Really building up leaders within organizations to be able to, to build equitable and just workplaces as well as roll out programs and services that are also supportive of, of racial equity. That's really fascinating stuff that you just actually shared there with us, Judy. And I've got to say to you, thank you for all the work you're doing around who you work with people and so forth. I think it's really, really cool. Now, I forgot to ask before, whereabouts are you? I mean, you obviously have mentioned the U.S., but whereabouts are you in the world today? Okay, so I am in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, sunny South Florida, not too far from, from Miami, where I was born in and raised in most of my family, still live in Miami. Oh, wow. Wow. It's a beautiful place in the world, too, because I've been to Florida and the humidity there is amazing, isn't it? It's really, really amazing, but it's actually quite interesting. We were actually talking about it as a family last night and about the different places and the humidity. And my wife said to, to the family that, you know, it's amazing because we went to Florida 
And her hair outside just went ping because it's just amazing what happens to your hair, right? And you know, I, I don't actually have that problem, but um, yeah, but that was really amazing to see that. Now, Judy, we're talking about, you've talked about Cure and what you do there and helping people out and so forth, which is wonderful. The question I've got for you here is, is there anything else more about your background that you might want to share with our listeners? Sure. So, so while we're on the conversation of where I am being in South Florida, so I, I was, as I mentioned, born and reared here in South Florida. My parents are immigrants from, from Haiti. My family started migrating to the U.S. in the late 60s, early 70s. And so I, I grew up with a lot of rich culture and diversity in South Florida with lots of immigrants from the Caribbean, from South America, from Central America. My maternal grandmother had seven kids. And so we, you know, so I, I grew up with lots of aunts and uncles and cousins around, which I also credit with um, helping me to, to learn how to navigate her different personalities very early <laughs> in life because I was surrounded with so many colorful folks coming up. Yeah. It's amazing how large families like that can actually help us develop and actually learn about humans and learn about the different personalities, as you said, and, and so forth. And sometimes they bring us back to reality too at times, families like that, because we do sorts of certain things around the place, but, you know, sometimes a comment or something they say, they're just down to earth, right? They're just people and they're a family and it's just great to be around them, which is really, really That's quite right. cool to do. Now, early on, you were talking about what you do around Cure and what it does and so forth. And I know a lot of organizations and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. They talk about diversity and inclusion. They said, oh, it's a leadership thing and we need to do a diversity and inclusion. I mean, what do you mean you need to do? diversity and inclusion. And I think a lot of organizations spend a lot of time on the D, the diversity, but they forget the inclusion piece. What, what are you seeing out there in the marketplace? That's such an important question, right? And when you, like for us at Cure, we really focus on the equity piece of the, the DEI or the diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Is that, yes, that a lot of organizations and companies focus on the diversity, which is really representation, right? The number of people across a gender and race and ethnicity and ability that we have represented, say, as employees within our organization or as part of our, our leadership team. And all of that is critical and important and is a foundation for equity and for inclusion is that we have to be diverse. But that certainly is not enough, right? Like it is the minimum, but not sufficient, right, for us to have inclusion and for us to have, have equity. So diversity is sort of the baseline how we even begin to have a conversation about inclusion if we don't have diversity. So, right, certainly diversity is important, but the I and the E are even more critical. Mm. Inclusion, right, is about participation. It's about creating the, the culture and the environment where the voices of diverse people and communities and backgrounds are heard and valued and prioritized, right? It's the experience that we are having together and we're able to leverage the power of diversity by being inclusive, by creating inclusive uh, workplaces and cultures and environments. And certainly when we get to equity, we're even moving beyond inclusion to challenge existing structures and processes and decision making so that we are really building equitable workplaces, organizations and communities. And so we need diversity so that that is an opening it creates the opening for inclusion, right? And then equity pushes us even further is that now that we have diverse representation and that we are creating the space 
and the opportunity to leverage the power of diversity is then that that means certainly that changes are going to happen, right? If you're really being inclusive and listening and honoring the wisdom of the representation that you have been able to foster by focusing on diversity, then we are going to hopefully move to include to equity. But that is also an intentional process, right? We don't move towards equity without intentional and deliberate commitment, sustained commitment, and, and being really clear that we want to change things, right? That we don't want to continue, say, a legacy of injustices, of, of inequality, of racism and social inequality. And so now what is it that we need to do? How do we change our organization, our workplace and build towards equity? Hey, um, tell me more about what you do in the way with veterans. I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Well, the pride of my work with veterans has to be Team Rubicon, an organization that is now in its, I have to do the math quickly, in its 12th year, but it's grown incredibly quickly. I'm no longer with the organization, but watching their their exploits around the globe from tornado response missions here in the U.S. to first aid and, and medical missions in places like Lviv, Ukraine is just awe-inspiring. It's grown to an organization with a global footprint and well over 100,000 veterans that has helped retrain to be disaster responders. Those veterans, I know they're talented people, right? They've got A, the experience about being in other areas, but also the talent that they've got. And it's about utilizing them because, I mean, they're young. They've still got a lot to give yet. And it's just being smart in where we actually push that or, or point that kind of talent to. What's sort of one of the biggest challenges that a lot of the veterans face that you guys help them out with? Well, well let me first say that it's, it's about skill and talent to be sure, but it's also about a certain ethic that they bring to their lives after they leave the military. I mean, the U.S. Mm. Uh, has an all-volunteer force, and that desire to serve doesn't end when the uniform comes off. It's in the DNA of these veterans, and they want to find a way to channel that skill and that talent and that experience into continuing to do good for their communities and their country. And honestly, the challenge for Team Rubicon, at least while I was there, was finding enough to capture that energy and that that desire to continue serving. They have managed to do it, but there is just this this immense reservoir of talent out there among the veteran population. They want to continue being part of something bigger than themselves. I love it. I think it's uh, it's a really great thing that you've done with them as well and it continues to grow now that you said that you're not there. So what, what are you doing nowadays if you're not there involved with Team Rubicon? Well, I've got the podcast. I've got Warriors in Their Own Words. I've hosted for Crooked Media. And I have a Burn the Boats podcast, which is my chance to interview interesting people every week and get paid for it, which is pretty great. That's awesome. Yeah. And Burn the Boats, what's that about? I mean, I know you say interesting people, but what's it more about? Well, the reference, Burn the Boats, is a phrase from antiquity and it's a reference to when alexander the great i think we're probably going to end up talking about leadership so this is this is relevant alexander the great landed his navy on the shores of persia to launch one of those invasions and when his when his army realized it was badly outnumbered his lieutenants immediately begged to to retreat and they headed back to the beaches but alexander told his navy captains and i say this with some pride as a former navy man he told his Navy to burn their boats down to the waterline, which gave his army only two options, either be killed on the beaches or win. Yep. 
so it took the excuses away just about right so that's um, right that's yeah, right and, and and their ability to get away so okay good good to know that now this is about leadership today about leadership is changing we'll get to that in that topic in a minute but in relation to leadership how did you get into leadership <laughs> Well, you're kind of thrown into it when you join the military. You don't have much of a choice. I mean, I, I kind of leaned into it as a young man in organizations, in school and in scouting. But in the military, it's a whole different thing and occasionally a life and death thing. And I wasn't a an academy graduate or I don't know how many of your listeners will be familiar with this, but there are many different ways to become an officer in the U.S. military, and I took the least traveled path, which is something called OCS. Basically, you you walk on to the team, and 13 weeks later, I'm an officer and headed to, to flight school, and you have to learn really quickly what makes uh, a good leader, especially because I wanted to command a crewed aircraft. I didn't want to be uh, a fighter pilot. I come from a, a family of fighter pilots, but this was pre 9-11 and I was looking at the world as it was then and, and I wanted a mission that was real every day and not training for something that might happen. And so I decided to fly uh, crewed aircraft in the Navy and an aircraft with a real world mission at the time. And that was the EP-3, a combat reconnaissance and signals intelligence aircraft. And I, I got it and had to figure out kind of on the fly, <laughs> but not intended how to lead that crew. So for listeners, that's the kind of aircraft that's got the big dish on top. Is that the one that you're talking about? It has a dish, but you can't see it. Uh, there are oh. only a handful of EP3s and hmm. there are seven or were when I chose the airframe. And it, it looks like a, a similar airplane, but has a very, very different mission. Okay. Interesting. And tell me, how long were you in the in the Navy for? And then when did you come out of that? And then what did you do? So I joined the Navy in straight out of out of college in 1996. I was in for nine years flying, and I got out in 2005 to go back to school. Okay. And when you say go back to school to, to study yes. further? Yes. Well, yes, to study further. I went back to law school and ended up teaching after that. Then began my career in the veteran service world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 